Daf Zayin Shivat Tavshinayin Chet. Coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York, I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Special request 
Avram Freed, Yerushalayim Shebalev. Welcome one and all to uh, this week's edition of the Israel Show. So happy to have you here with us as we are live immediately every Monday, immediately following Jamie in the AM, 9 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Israel time and around the world, wherever you are. Whatever time it is now that you're listening to us, that's when we're on. Or you can listen to us on demand. On demand. How many things in, in this world can you get on demand? Well, this is one of the great ones. Whenever you'd like to listen to The Israel Show, just go to the beloved NSN app, which is available free both for iTunes and for um, and for the other guys. Android, for Android. Uh, for free and on their respective app stores. Download it and you can listen to all the great programming of the Nachum Siegel Network. The uh, flag, flagship program, is that what it's called? The flagship program, Jam and the AM and everything else. All the great stuff that's uh, here. And then you can listen, of course, to our show, both live and on demand. You can even download the show on the app when you're in a Wi-Fi area so that when you're in your car and you want to listen to it, let's say, and you don't have free Wi-Fi... You don't have to use up your minutes. It's so great. We make it so convenient. How could you how how could you not take the great opportunity? Anyway, thanks so much for listening, tuning us in, making us a part of your week. Uh we have a great show. Lots of doing in Israel this weekend. Uh, over sh- Friday night, the air raid sirens which were silent for many years. In the northern part of Israel, those air raid sirens went off. There was a skirmish between Israel and, in effect, and Iran. And we'll tell you all about that. All about the um, the background, what led up to this. How is it that Iran can somehow do something on the border of Israel. All that stuff, we're going to explain it to you, hopefully, both in detail, but in ways that people like me who are not uh, political scientists understand, and hopefully uh, our audience will as well. Uh, we'll see what else we can fit in. We started last week a great conversation about what should be done with those who have infiltrated into Israel from, in this case, from Africa, from Sudan and Eritrea, is uh, tens of thousands of people that Israel is trying to deal with now how to, um, what should be the next move? What should happen with them? Should they be uh, allowed to stay in Israel? Should they be returned? If they're not refugees, if they could be returned to a safe place, should Israel do that? Lots of different opinions and some surprising it's not as you know black and white, and it's not as right and left as one would expect. We'll try to get to some of that, and um, that and more, and lots of great music. So um, here we go. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Hanan Benari, Toda Shaat Ohevetoti. ומלטפת את ימיי למרות הכל נשארת איתי ומחבקת את פגמיי תודה שאת אוהבת אותי 
It's such a cute song. The word, just give you an idea about the words. This is um, a couple, the husband is singing to the wife and saying, you know, I have so many flaws. This is so, um, usually from the, from the female side where she's talking to her husband and telling him how, much, how many flaws he has. I have so many flaws, the husband says, and yet you love me, and yet you've take, you took me and you love me and you continue to love me. And you put up with all my stuff, all my junk. And so I appreciate it very much. Isn't that cute? Very, very nice. Hanan Ben-Ari. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. So, Friday night, northern Israel, cities like Beit Sha'an and others, Tzfat, suddenly... Air raid sirens go off. Now, it happens on occasion, and usually it's a a false alarm, but not this past Friday night. It was real. 
it had not happened for long time since since probably since the second Lebanon war over a decade and what happened was that a drone an enemy drone was spotted crossing over the border into Israel into northern Israel this drone we know made its way from Syria down to Jordan and if you can imagine the border there's this area in the north where Syria, Jordan, Israel the borders pretty much meet so it went through Jordan and then came over Israel Israel identified it as an enemy drone and shot it down it was identified once uh, Israel got uh, hold of it on the ground it was identified as an Iranian drone How does an Iranian drone get from Iran thousands of miles? I mean, you got to go through Iran, through Iraq, through Syria. And the answer is that, unfortunately, the Iranians, through their allies, through their puppets, like Hezbollah and others, and in some instances, maybe even Iranian Iranian forces themselves have set up bases in Syria. Yes, that is like very close to the Israeli border. Our hated enemy that was so many thousands of miles away that we still had to be careful of is now sitting on the border. And an Iranian, I would have to imagine that this entire scenario was planned out There's no way that they didn't know that Israel would shoot it down. But it's a test. You know, it's like everything in life. Like a child with a parent. Like an employee with an employer. Like a student with a teacher. You test. You see how far you can go before you get smacked down. So Iran wanted to see what would happen. They sent this drone. A drone is a... A, a, an aircraft without a pilot, it's piloted by remote control, I, I think everybody knows this by now, by remote control from a base, and then you can fly it wherever and see what, use it for surveillance and so forth. In fact, I believe that it was Israel that invented the drone concept, and um, it's taken off, <laughs> literally, all over the world. In Israel, it's called a mazlat, matos zair lelo tayas, a small aircraft without a pilot. Anyway, uh, Iran wanted to see what would happen. What would happen? It's sort of like a dare. That Israel would shoot down the drone? Of course Israel's going to shoot down the drone. What happens next? And that's the test of leadership. Israel made it clear to the world, to the Russians, who control part of Syria too, to America, and to the Iranians themselves. We will not stand for it, for there to be Syrian camps, military presence in Syria. Iranian military presence in Syria will not, will not work. In fact, over time, Israel has been bombing 
uh, weapons deliveries into Syria. And through Syria also into Lebanon to Hezbollah. And so Israel did what what tough countries need to do in a tough neighborhood. They set a red line and they stuck to it. You see, there are some countries that set red lines and, and ignore them, and some we'll get to that later. Some countries that set red lines and don't ignore them. Israel attacked the Iranian puppets, whether it's it's Iran itself, Iranian forces, or Syrian forces that are allied with Iran, they attacked, they bombed them from the air. They bombed, they found the actual base from which the drone was being steered and was sent, and um, bombed the out of them. Now, here's a scary part. In addition to the fact that Iran can send a drone over northern Israel, anti-aircraft missiles were shot at the Israeli planes. That's already an escalation. Depending on the details, either the one of those missiles hit an Israeli plane... But more likely, and this is the official version, one of those missiles exploded in the air and part of it, a piece, a big piece of shrapnel, ended up hitting and um, disabilitating or disabling one of Israel's F-16s. The pilot realized that the plane is uh, going to go down and so he ejected and in so doing also had the co-pilot, the navigator, Basically, the co-pilot, the Navat, um, eject as well. They both parachuted over Israeli territory, thank God. Uh, One of them, I believe it's the pilot, was injured pretty severely, although they say he's getting better, but he definitely severely wounded. And um, the other was less severely wounded, but wounded as well. First time in decades that an Israeli fighter jet has been shot down one could say was shot down was was, or was caused to crash another development so depending on what side you're looking at or I, i should say this no matter what side you look at whether you look at it from our side or from their side there there's crossing of red lines here Israel losing an F-16 is a big deal. Not because of the money, but because of the the idea that Israel should, to its enemies, seem invulnerable. And when, when one gets shot down by some anti-aircraft from the much weaker Syria, it doesn't make us look invulnerable or invincible. They should be scared of us not feel that they have the ability to shoot down a plane. So, from their side, from their perspective, the fact that um, the drone, an Iranian drone, actually was flying over Israel, albeit for a short time, the fact that an Israeli aircraft was shot down, could be seen as a victory. From our perspective, our response, which was strong, it was immediate, it was strong, and made a very clear statement, 
that's our uh, that's our way of looking at it that uh, as a positive in, in the sense not that we want this event to happen but if this event co- happens this is the way a country that respects itself should respond that's what happened those are just the facts of what happened and a little bit of uh, of analysis of this past weekend how did we reach this point that the Syrian border, which for decades was quiet, it was a quiet border. Since 73, pretty much it was a quiet border, now becomes a threatening border. How did we get there? We will an- analyze that and discuss that coming up after this song. And here's an appropriate song. It goes back to the days of the six day uh, of the 73 war, which was the last time that border was um, was not so quiet. Al Shloshat Pishay Damesek was a very popular song back then. It's uh, taking off on uh, one of the Nevi'im who's, was it Micha? I don't remember. But maybe I'll look it up during the uh, during the musical break. Al Shloshat Pishay Damesek Tzevet Havai of Chativat Golani. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Sever Havai of Chativat Golani brought to us Al Shloshapish Eida Mesek. My name is Mayor Wangat, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Great Nachum Siegel Network. Let's see how quickly I could do this. Um, and if it takes too long, I will stop. Well, here we go. It's based on the Psukim in Sefer Amos, which um, ha- it's a series of Al Shloshapish X for Al Ba'ah Lo Ashivenu, Al Shloshapish Yehuda, Al Shloshapish Israel, Al Shloshapish Damascus, and so forth. Um, that's what I wanted to look up. What a world we live in, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Can you imagine if you would tell our grandparents? Or, or if your grandparents are still, even if they're still alive, I, I think not not many of them understand the uh, uh, amazing ability for us to bring up information in a matter of seconds. It's just available to us. So I can type into an iPad, Pish A and get uh, a million results, including the psukim themselves, the source, everything. Well, we all know that. It's just, it, it, it just, we can't take it for granted. It really is, in my humble opinion, part of the period of time that we live in, which is the period that is um, the process of the geulah in which we live. And this... Uh, if it's not part of that, it's a pretty it's pretty good anyway. Uh, we are talking about the uh, situation in northern Israel. How did we reach this point where um, an Iranian drone can make its way over the Israeli border in the north and an Israeli F-16 can be shot down by an anti-aircraft missile being shot from Syria, obviously an advanced anti-aircraft missile being shot from Syria. And the answer is, goes back now quite a number of years, where Syria, after the death of Papa Assad, (laughs) Bashar al-Assad, Hafez al-Assad, I'm sorry, Hafez al-Assad, the father, the, uh, the rule of the country, the dictatorship, was taken over by his son Bashar, who was viewed as a weak leader. And remember that the Assads, Hafez al-Assad and Bashar al-Assad and so forth, are neither Shiite or Sunni. They are Alawites, which is another uh, sect within uh, Islam. And so they are really a minority amongst the Arabs. So the way Papa Assad kept power was through tremendous violence, terror, killed tens of thousands of people who dared to, you know, raise their head and try and do anything. His son is not as strong. And so, quite a number of years ago, a civil war broke out in Syria. And for a long time, nobody knew 
Which side is better? Is it better that radical Islamists take over Syria? That under Assad was a secular Arab country, which we all prefer. And as bad as Assad is, at least he keeps it a secular country, a dictatorship as is, and he keeps the forces of radical Islam under under his hand, under lock and key in many cases, under control? Or do we want the rebels to topple Assad, who is a dictator, but then who knows what happens and possibly an Islamic radical dictatorship takes takes over. And then we see Syria turning like Iran did long ago and like Turkey is doing right now. Turkey another country very close to Israel that borders on Syria, that borders on Lebanon. Turkey that was for many years a secular Arab country and a very close ally of Israel under the leadership of Erdogan is now becoming more and more of a radical Islamic country. And that's bad for the West, period, not only for Israel. So what happens in Syria? Well, Basically, nobody does anything. They just fight and fight and fight and fight for years. Hundreds of thousands, probably by now millions, over a million Syrians are killed. Millions, over 10 million Syrians, run away and are refugees, starting a whole nother issue, a whole nother problem. They run to Jordan. They run out of Syria to Turkey. And to some extent, many of them are able to get to the Turkish border on the Mediterranean and get into Europe. You probably have seen these stories of them getting on these rickety-bickety boats and getting into Europe. And then Germany and other countries accepting hundreds of thousands of these Muslim refugees who are going to have, over time, a tremendous, probably negative effect on Europe. We already are seeing that happen. Of course, as a side point, I will say, open parentheses, the world is only concerned, really, about the quote-unquote Palestinian refugees, many of whom, as we've spoken about recently, are not even refugees. A little bit of lip service and so forth, but basically... There could be 10 million refugees. And yeah, they're, they're... how many reports have you seen about the, 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 the terrible conditions that they're in? One or two reports here and there that a reporter would go to a um, refugee camp in Jordan or in Turkey and see the horrific conditions that these Syrians who ran away from war are in. And notice, nobody threw them out. They ran away. They ran away from war because they were afraid they would be killed. Anyway, close parentheses. So this war goes on and on, and it seems like Assad is losing. And then two powers, Russia and Iran, decide to back Assad and slowly take back control 
of Syria defeat the rebels. This is going on now for a couple of years. There's ISIS in between, whatever. We'll we'll sp- skip over that for a moment. Russia and Iran are supporting Assad, setting up home in Syria. First Russia. Russia moves in, puts in anti-aircraft batteries in strategic places in Syria, making it, by the way, now impossible for Israel to have the independence to fly over Syria and bomb whatever they need to bomb. Remember, Israel bombed a nuclear plant in Syria during Ehud Olmert's prime ministership because the United States was too afraid to get involved and didn't want to do it. Today, that would be very difficult. It has to be coordinated with the Russians. And the Russians allowed Iran to come in, and Israel is a little bit boxed in. Now, Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu, has a good relationship, so it seems, with President Putin of Russia. And so they coordinate. The fact is that Russia doesn't shoot down Israeli aircraft when they attack. And this is in large part because Israel and Russia have coordinated. And Israel has told Russia, don't allow this situation to get out of hand. We are going to protect ourselves. We are going to not allow, we are not going to allow Iran to get too, too big in Syria. So you have to give us that freedom. And they have all kinds of arrangements also, codes and so forth, so that they shouldn't shoot at each other. You know, that that Israel shouldn't shoot at a Russian aircraft, and a Russian aircraft shouldn't shoot at an Israeli aircraft. Obviously, we don't want that to happen. Then how is it that Russia just walked into Syria? And the answer is that, like everything else in life, the world abhors a vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum. And when something is open, when there's a vacuum created, something else will come in. The United States under Barack Obama basically went AWOL. They checked out. The United States made it clear through their actions, not through their words, no, through their actions, that they're not getting involved. We're not getting involved. And when that became very clear, Russia, who, who was kept out of the Middle East by a strong America and a strong Israel, for decades, since around 1973, Russia just walked in like nothing. And America stood around and did nothing. And worse. We'll take a musical break. When we come back, we'll tell you about how it is that the world understood that America has checked out, has gone AWOL, has allowed this vacuum in Syria to be created. Yoni Genut with his new song that we've been playing, Daber Eli Be Adamit. My name is Mayor Wangart, and you're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Daber Eli Be Adamit. 
Yoni Genut with the Bear Live Adam, it beautiful a song. So we are talking about how is it that Syria suddenly became this place of craziness 
regarding um, regarding the ability of Russia to come in and then Iran to come in. So the answer is that the United States allowed it. President Obama, President Obama was an extremely weak president, surely on foreign policy. Well, some would say he wasn't weak. Some would say he was strong. Whatever you want to call it. He allowed all this to happen. So let me remind you how this worked. In August of 2012, as the Syrian civil war raged, there were reports that Syria is going to be using chemical weapons or has been using chemical weapons in its fight against the rebels. And it was quite well known to almost everybody that Syria owned lots of, of stockpiles, stockpiles of chemical weapons like sarin gas and so forth. Chemical weapons, it was agreed by the nations of the world after World War One that they would not use chemical weapons even in war because that's one of the more horrific things one of the more horrific weapons, and, you know, I guess amongst somewhat normal nations, you can make such an agreement, but in Syria, Syria used chemical weapons, as did Iraq, by the way, to kill their own people. Assad Papa did, and now the question is whether Assad the son will. And President Obama was asked in August of 2012 what would happen if Assad uses chemical weapons. And this is one of the more famous quotes of President Obama. We have been very clear to the Assad regime that a red line for us is we start seeing a whole bunch of chemical weapons moving around or being utilized. Uh, That would change my calculus. So President Obama basically said it. We're not doing anything. But if they use chemical weapons, that would change our calculus. We will do something about it. Well, a year later, in August of 2013, the United States concludes and says, yes, we do know that they have chemical weapons. He says it outright. He says it outright. Here it is. The world set a red line. The world... Sorry, wrong clip. I don't know. Maybe I don't have that clip. But basically, President Obama in August uh, says we know that they have chemical weapons and we're going to have to decide what to do. It is reported by many with inside knowledge that an attack on Syria by the United States, an attack on the storehouses the stockpiles of the chemical weapons was going to take place at the end, the last days of August of 2013. President Obama tries to get a coalition of other countries, including Great Britain. The Prime Minister of Great Britain says, we're with you. But on August 29th, the British Parliament says, no, we don't want to be part of this. We've had enough in the Middle East. And now the president gets cold feet. And at the last minute, a day before the strike is supposed to take place, according to military sources, 
The president calls in his advisors and says, we can't do this. But you have to do this. You set a red line. If you set a red line and you don't do anything, you're in trouble. Your whole credibility is shot. The Middle East will become just tohu vavohu. It'll, it'll be out of control. And so the president comes up with a genius idea. Being that he doesn't want military action, probably because he's pretty much of a pacifist and he doesn't think that America should get involved in world affairs. Maybe he's an isolationist. I shouldn't say necessarily pacifist. Well, what do you do? I I said I'm going to have a red line. Okay, so now he said, now he came up with a brilliant idea. Literally at the last minute, he tells the army, stand down. And while admitting that we have to take action, here's how he evades it. After careful deliberation, I have decided that the United States should take military action against Syrian regime targets. But having made my decision as commander-in-chief based on what I am convinced is our national security interests, I will seek authorization for the use of force from the American people's representatives in Congress. Now that is nothing more than a cheap trick because he knows that in Congress things are going to get bogged down. Nobody's going to actually get to where they want to go. And in the meantime, Syria just continues to uh, do its thing. And if we get any negative responses from this attack that the United States claimed that they would make if Syria went over the red line, if we get any fee- any pushback, well, Obama can say, it, it, it wasn't me, I, I think it should be done, but the Congress ultimately agreed to it. This is a leader that doesn't want to lead. And then, the biggest joke is John Kerry, who we've spoken about many times on this show, not the smartest Secretary of State we've had. John Kerry stumbles, literally stumbles, into an agreement with the Russians, where the Russians say they will make sure that Syria destroys its stockpiles of chemical weapons. Oh my, we're going to trust... The Russians and the Syrians, that the Syrians will destroy all their nuclear weapons, uh, all their uh, chemical weapons. Well, much of the chemical weapons were, were destroyed. That's, that's the part of the play that we see. But behind the curtain, a lot of the chemical weapons were not destroyed. And so Assad kept his chemical weapons. Russia raised its hand as a power broker, and the United States showed itself to be a coward. And so, time after time, as the United States is becoming, as it is becoming clear that the United States doesn't have a red line, the powers of evil, Russia, Iran, just move in. They just move in. 
And what does President Obama say? You just heard him say that would be a red line. Here's what he says. The world set a red line. The world... I didn't set a red line. The world set a red line. The world set a red line when governments representing 98% of the world's population said uh, the use of chemical weapons are abhorrent and passed a treaty forbidding their use even when countries are engaged in war. He's talking about the agreement between the, the world countries after World War One in like 1920 or whatever, where they said that chemical weapons are unacceptable even in war. That's when you were dealing with normal, semi-normal people, not barbaric, radical, crazed people. So that's how he gets out of it. He talks his way out of it. Oh, I didn't say, I never said a red You set a red line. And then when the red line was crossed, you chickened out and you showed the world that America is absent. Opening that vacuum and Russia just raced in. They brought their ships to the Syrian ports. They set up bases. They set up anti-aircraft batteries so that no other power can can go in and bomb Syria or any Syrian forces without Russia's approval. And then slowly Russia allowed the forces, the followers, those influenced by Iran to make their way in there too. Arms coming through. And Israel is all the while doing its best to try and stem the tide of these weapons deliveries and so forth. But at the same time, President Obama is sending a plane load of cash of over $1.2 billion, with a B, dollars in cash to Iran in a plane. Money that Iran is now using to fund all the terrorist operations around the world that it wants to fund. And this is money that America gave it and then America signed an insane agreement. Everything that you see around us right now in the Middle East, the chaos that is, that is taking place, the cancer that is growing and metastasizing in an insane pace, all comes about as a result of the lack of leadership in the Middle East by Barack Obama. I'm very sorry to say he knows how to speak very well. He's very charming. He's very charismatic. He doesn't tweet. He doesn't say silly things. But he has created a cancer that we are suffering through. Eric Sinai with Yele Yarok. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Als wat nach alba erf shama ishlo yafeya Shama ruach mushebet el atefet targiya Shama khtov lak pamayim shir she ishlo yafeya
Sinai with Yelid Yerok here on the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. Thanks so much for tuning in, making us part of your week. Uh, we have, uh, let's see, not too much longer left. So I will mention that Eden Reichel will be a guest of Nachum Siegel tomorrow morning over at JM in the AM. You want to take a listen, play a lot of his music. And uh, two days ago, today is uh, what? Today's Chaf. Zayin Shvat, Chav Heishvat was the Yortzite of uh, Yair Stern. Head of the Lechi, founder and head of the Lechi, Avraham Stern, I'm sorry, also known as Yair. Yair was his, um, was his name in the uh, underground in the Mechteret. Avraham Stern, the uh, founder and leader of the Lechi, was killed, most would agree by now, by... Uh, in cold blood by British police officers in 1942. They made believe that he was running away or that he had a bomb or whatever, but uh, by now all of that has been proven to be incorrect, and they just wanted him out of the picture. He was a thorn in their side. Uh, he was the more radical of the, of the uh, Jewish uh, underground groups, and they were not too happy with him and so he was shot as we say in cold blood in his hideaway in an apartment in Tel Aviv there is now a museum there which uh, where you could see exactly where it happened and other uh, other exhibits about the man and about the Lechi and about the resistance uh, in uh, honor of that, we will end the show with the song that he wrote, Chayalim Almonim, which was the the theme, the theme song, so to speak. The anthem is the word I'm looking for, the anthem of the Lechi. This uh, particular version, believe it or not, is sung by Shlomo Artsy, which is very interesting. So we will close out with that. But before before we close out the show, we always do this. We say thank you because that's the thing we do. We say thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and your comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, Yoni Pollock and Seth Gordon 
will be joining him with After Further Review, covering the latest in the world of sports, and then the Great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday, immediately following Jamie and the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. Oh no, they're just running in a different race. Thank you.